Hello and welcome to the podcast. It's been a while, obviously. Obviously, I'm the best podcast maker there is, considering I you know go a year between episodes, but it's fine. This is fine. Um, so on the podcast today is Aaron and I. We have a fascinating conversation about cancel culture and some other stuff. Hope you enjoy it. All right, live from uh, my house in Aurora, Colorado, and live from Lafayette, Louisiana, I have my good pal, form, former camp friend, still friend, Aaron Garrett. Aaron, hello. How are you do, doing Hi, today? Hi, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. I'm doing good. Good. That's good. Um, so, Aaron, tell tell uh, the, the five people that still listen to this podcast, considering I record it, I don't know, once a year, um, who you are. What, what, are you, what are you doing with your life? And uh, how, how have you come, how, how do we become friends? I don't know. Start wherever you want. We'll start. The best <laughs> podcast order? ever. Whatever do I go in? What order do I go in? Okay. Um, my name's Aaron. Uh, I'm originally from Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, living um, in Lafayette, Louisiana. I met Kevin several years ago at a little camp called Life Teen Camp Covecrest um, and um, lived there actually for three years and then moved back here to Lafayette, Louisiana. And I'm currently uh, six months into a job called Beacon Connections. It's a nonprofit that does non-clinical case management for people with social determinants of health. Um, social so, determinants. What What is a social determinant? So a or social is it a determin- detriment? Detriment or determinant? Determinant. determinant. A social okay. determinant of health is anything that doesn't have to do with like a f- like physical or like I guess medical um, health needs so it's like not diseases and things like that but it's things that you and I take for granted in our lives that we already have access to things like food or clothing or housing um, transportation to and from doctor's appointments or just around so it's anything that um, we are trying to like we have in our lives and we don't think about because our lives are set up to where we can provide those things for ourselves. Um, many people can't provide those things for themselves. So, uh, they'll try to go search for them at places like a hospital or they're they're accessing like homelessness services and things like that. So, um, our overall, overall goal as a organization is to reduce readmission rates into hospitals, um, which are things that make, my bill, your hospital bill, uh, get way high because some people don't pay their hospital bills. Um, so it's a lot of education of like teaching people how to use the hospital system and like what to go into the emergency room for and what not to go to the emergency room for. And, um, but also when people feel like their needs are being met outside of the hospitals, um, they can have access to like a better lifestyle. And, um, especially a part, a big part of my job is also just, um, making sure that they feel like somebody's doing it with them, um, and encouraging them to like go forward. So we just refer right. them to resources in the community is basically what I do. It's like, Oh, awesome. you, you need food. Here's the closest food pantry to your house. Um, you need transportation to your doctor's appointments. Let's get you signed up for Medicaid so you can have access to free transportation to your doctor's appointments, stuff like that. That's awesome. And I think, yeah, just the, it's it's funny how isolating life can be, especially if, 
I don't know, because I, I feel like probably a lot of the homeless are not even in the area where they were from. So in terms of the amount of people that they know, they just like their social network in and of itself, not saying like Facebook or Instagram or anything, but just like the people they know are so disparate in their lives, or maybe they've just like burned those bridges so badly that they're just trying to kind of bootstrap it and make it on their own. And I th it's so funny. That's kind of an American idea of like, oh, just pick yourself up by your bootstrap, do this by yourself. But like, how often do we have the help of friends or family or uh, random strangers that we've like made connection with that end up helping us out and that that's gotten us to the point where we're even at in life. So um, that's, that's, that's kind of interesting um, to, to be able to that. What's like the, your, your favorite story so far of just a person you've helped out in, in your uh, in your field. Yeah. Um, my favorite client of all time. Uh, I actually recently, I talked to him Friday and, uh, I had to tell him like, Hey, you're doing kind of good. So, um, I'm going to have to like kind of reduce the amount of times I call you. And he was super bummed, but, uh, my favorite client of all time, he, uh, was a patient at, um, a behavioral health unit in town. And he, uh, he, was referred to me. And the first thing we did was get him signed up for food stamps, which is now referred to as SNAP. So um, I did a SNAP application with him. And one of the things that SNAP, the government requires of you is to also get signed up on your um, like state's workforce commission so that like you're looking for a job alongside having your SNAP benefits. And then once you get a job, they reduce your benefits and all that stuff. So, um, but like any government program, it took forever to get him signed up on. And I remember calling him one day, it had probably been about a month and a half since we had originally applied for, um, the benefits. And he, I answered the phone and I said, how are you doing? Like, have you gotten your card in the mail yet or anything? And he was so frustrated. And he said, Miss Aaron, like, look, I appreciate what you're trying to do for me, but I'm, I'm giving up on these snap people. Like they said, I got approved for benefits. They, they haven't sent me a card. I don't know who to call. I'm tired of waiting on hold on the phone and blah, all this stuff. And I was, I was like, I'm sorry. I understand. I know it could be frustrating, but look, we'll, we'll try to, maybe I'll send you some food pantries or something like that. We can try something else, but, um, okay, I'll go ahead. I was like, I'll email you those food pantries. Okay. He was like, okay. So we hung up the phone and about four seconds later, my phone rings and I answer the phone and it's him again. And he was like, I am so sorry. I'm not going to let these people win. Like you have been such a great help to me. Uh, um, and he just was going on and on about how he's like, I can't let the devil win on this one. My frustrations uh, are um, keeping me from getting what I need to like have a better life. So I I'm going to I'm getting on the phone with them today and I will I'm getting them to put like a, a card in the mail to me today. And I was like, all right. All right. I love the enthusiasm. Let's go. So um, uh, he called me back. He said I was able to talk to somebody They They said they put a card in the mail for me today and. Um, he called me, I think the next day and said that he was finally getting his benefits. And on top of that, because he signed up for snap, he was able to get a job. Um, he also has been making his like follow-up mental health appointments and keeping like regular on his meds. And, um, it's just really beautiful to watch somebody that was like close to suicidal and like with all of these diagnoses with mental health issues, like carry a, a job and get his mental health on track and, um, use the benefits the way they're meant to be used. And, um, yeah, so 
That's my favorite client. I called him and I said, yeah, I called him uh, Friday and I said, I'm going to have to, I'm going to call you one more time next month and then I'm going to have to close you out. And he, he was so bummed, but, um, very thankful. Um, so, but yeah, I, I believe in the, it's the working together, me and him together on these things that are kind of are able to allow people to take a step back and look at all their problems one at a time versus it being like all on their shoulders at once. So, right. It's very, it's very much like the, uh, the the Dave Ramsey method of the the snowball, right? Instead of trying to do everything of in your life, like it's his baby steps, like you, instead of trying to like I'm going to pay off debt and save for a house and save for retirement and save for my kids' college and also like try to pay my bills, but also I want to like save for this vacation. It's like no 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 no, we're gonna do one thing at a time. So like first we're gonna save this emergency fund and then we're gonna attack our our debt. And then after we're finished with that, then we can save up emergency fund. So it's like you get these little victories where like psychologically that's helpful for you because otherwise it just feels like this overwhelming weight of, of pressure crushing down upon you where you feel like you can't make any progress at all because you're kind of expending your energy in all these disparate um, directions. So um, yeah, it, it's even with, I've, I've even found this with just like, it's funny because it's Lent and just like even with prayer disciplines, just like I'm going to read scripture every day. Like I'm just going to do that and I'm going to commit to doing that. And just like this one step instead of like this vague vagary of like, I'm going to try to get closer to the Lord. It's like, no, today I'm going to read like a paragraph and I'm going to journal about it. I'm going to do that every single day and I'm going to commit to doing that. And like, it's amazing the progress I've seen of just like being faithful to that one little thing and like how that can change stuff. Um, so it's it's very interesting how that, can apply to like essentially every every factor of life it's just like we need those little wins to make it feel like we're not just you know drowning in the the terribleness of life at times so yeah very cool very cool um so this is actually hilarious because aaron and i this is the third time we've tried to record this podcast yes third yes so um last year we in fact we had tried to to record a podcast and talk about um what what was a hot topic then but i think it's actually interesting now that uh i think aaron's had a little more time to kind of deal with it but uh i feel like cancel culture is still like a huge thing in the world today like people are still talking about it it's really interesting i'm not sure if you have paid attention but i guess john vanier who is the founder of larsh um was they had done an independent study of larsh and had found that he had um serially abused like six different women um over the course of like 35 years which is kind of crazy. Um, and Jean Manier was a very well-regarded figure in the Catholic world. And even in, I think the, uh, like disabilities world, cause he was a big champion of helping people that had, uh, special needs or pe- kind of like people that were thrown away by society more or less. Um, so it's been very heartbreaking for a lot of people that, uh, this person that was like that kind of as like, not even just, um, uh, you know, like a cultural hero or celebrity or anything, but he was, looked at honestly as a holy man and all of a sudden it's there's this darkness there this really terrible darkness too not even just like it's not like mccarrick where everyone kind of knew that this this guy was slimy like he he no one ever looked up like cardinal mccarrick as like wow he's so holy i just want to be exactly like him like it would be like if this it's terrible but like i love mother Teresa, but if like mother Teresa ended up having been like seriously abusing a bunch of people or something like that. Like that's kind of mm-hmm. the magnitude of John Vanier coming out. So this, the topic that we're going to talk about is a little less like of the gravity of someone that was 
regarded as like someone to model your life after because mm-hmm. I don't think Ryan Adams was someone that like Aaron's like I want to be exactly like Ryan Adams um but I Ryan Adams was a, a huge influence on you musically I'm pretty sure and so um and it's been a year so and, and you can kind of go into the details of everything that Ryan Adams has been accused of and has admitted to even um but yeah, I think I think it's interesting to to touch on this. So, Ryan Adams, take it away, Aaron. Mm-hmm. I think this is a great thing actually to talk about Kevin because this is International Women's Month. So, it is. um and it's coming up on like uh I think 3 years ago, 4 years ago, I went and saw Ryan Adams play in Columbia, South Carolina. Um back when you were living at camp. Back when I was living at camp, I made the 3-hour drive to Columbia, South Carolina to watch him play by myself at a concert, um, which was actually a very magical experience, um, to be by yourself at a concert. Um, but, uh, yeah. And it was actually on international women's day that I saw him. And one of his, uh, one of the people that have come forward about his, um, personality and kind of manipulative, abusive, uh, nature, uh, opened for him that day. And she was, I remember very clearly her talking about how great he was and everything, but little did everyone know she was probably silently suffering for, um, quite some time. So, um, yeah. So last February, uh, the New York times dropped an article about Ryan Adams, um, who's a very prolific musician, um, has sold out shows all over the world, um, probably has close to, 10 or so studio albums out. Um, I have almost all of them on CD and vinyl and um, two t-shirts and two concerts under my belt. Um, So New York Times dropped this article kind of uh, with some women coming forward about some stuff of um, manipulative in nature, um, threatening like to kill himself if that, if they didn't give him what he wanted, um, creating like, fake relationships online um and i think even uh there was like a 16 year old girl who came out that he had been like dming her um on instagram or something some social media platform um i haven't read the article in a year so uh this is all um what i do remember but uh yeah and phoebe bridgers the one who opened up uh for him at uh in Columbia, um, when I saw him, I had come forward that, uh, she had kind of recorded some things at his studio in Los Angeles. And then later he was kind of making all these promises to her about how famous he was going to make her and all this stuff, but she had to deliver on some things and, uh, wanted, and it was like kind of just an emotionally abusive relationship. Uh, between the two of them and then he dropped her ep which hit like took off without a doubt because she is a very talented woman so then even having her you know fame almost attributed to you know his um you know his stamp of approval and i could only imagine for her like what that must feel like uh so i i went through a time where i didn't listen to any ryan adams for uh about a year almost. Um, and I remember this like January, February kind of reevaluating, uh, what that was like, like what, how do, how do you, you know, 
kick to the curb something for so long you've loved and something like you miss as well and is that okay like is that the response we need to have do we need to put to shame you know all this stuff do I need to burn all my vinyls do I need to crash all my cds do I need to rip my shirts up um no but you have to make an instagram post and tell everyone you did it though Aaron come on that's the most important part Right. But no, but really, I mean, because if I did all that, what for myself, you know, like what, what would that prove? What that would, I mean, Ryan Adams isn't going to find out about it, you know? So, um, I don't know. What are your thoughts, yeah, so, Kevin? I think it's, I think your response is very similar to what happens with a lot of people in that time helps you reevaluate things. Like if you make just snap judgments and you're like, I'm going to do X, Y, Z and do all this stuff. Um, yeah. And there's something about like, we're so uncomfortable with the fact that people we admire have darkness within them and t have done terrible things too. Um, whether it's just musically, but like even people within our family. And I think it's, it even goes closer. It's like, you and I have terrible things within us that we don't want to admit to other people mm -hmm. or, you know, things that we're ashamed of and how, how do we deal with them? Um, and I, I think our culture as a whole doesn't know how to deal with darkness and guilt and shame. Um, so we, you usually blame other people. It's kind of the common response. I've actually, it's funny. I've been reading Brene Brown, so I'm not an expert on any of this, but uh, <laughs> just like talking about, talking about shame and, and guilt and like how we kind of like put on this armor of, like as especially as men for myself it's like i just have to like be better and i have to you know like not care and i just have to be the jerk that gets ahead and it doesn't matter who i trample over or how many feelings i hurt as long as i'm successful because if i'm not successful then i'm a failure and then if i'm a failure then i'm not even a man and so what's the point so like i have to just like climb to the top of the ladder no matter who's there and kick them off if they're in my way and do all this stuff um but but it, like people have done bad things like none of this is new i guess i i keep, i always go back to the book of ecclesiastes like vanity of vanities all is vanity mm -hmm. there's nothing new underneath the sun like it's not as if people have not abused women in the past millennia of uh of the, the human race and it's not as if people have not abused power like we can just look throughout history and see over and over again that people that have power um usually abuse it it's the people that don't that we admire the most it's the um like i was reading mother Teresa and just like how she had like she could have used her influence for like her own gain and done all sorts of things and been totally shady um but the fact that like she would just die to herself and like anything she had she would just give away or use for the poor um was such a just like stark contrast to the rest of the world that I think it just changed people's hearts in that way. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't know how, how to deal with, um, I think it's just cause like everything is so much more open to, like we know so much more about musicians and all these things and every single person than we ever did. I think prior to this time, it's like you had to read in a newspaper about even the news. And now it's like, Hey, this person did something terrible. It's on, there's a video on the, on Twitter and I could watch it like that. And like, and then I just start reacting and it's not like, there's no, even no time to process things. It's just, we, we react. We don't even like digest it and think about it. It's just, you react to these things. So like, how did you come to the, to the conclusion, I guess, is, uh, how like, oh, I can actually listen to Ryan Adams now. Like what, <laughs> what, what changed, I guess. Um, 
so I remember the first thing to change. I was like, I'm going to wear these t-shirts to bed, like just night, like pajama shirts, you know, <laughs> no one can see me wear them. It's fine. Um, so that's kind of where it, like baby steps took. Um, but then I realized like I I didn't, I didn't know, like, I wanted to listen to his music again. And, um, it was weird. Cause at the, around about that time, he kind of got back on Instagram and he like put out this kind of apology thing. And also in like a way I was like, I don't know, I'm kind of worried about him, you know, like, and also put me in the shoes of just being like, um, watching him try to live his life where like, I can only imagine if like, most of the people that were close to you drop out because of this thing that you did. And, um, you know, you're trying to battle that loneliness and all these things. And I think about that lot part. One of one thing that I have had to do for a couple of clients is like find sex offenders, places to live, you know, help them get registered. And, um, you know, like they're a person with dignity that deserve access to housing and, um, community and, um, also like rehabilitation. So, um, like kind of thinking about all of that at the same time, jumping back into listening to Ryan Adams music was like, let me go back to the songs where I feel like he, you know, was most vulnerable or most honest. So, you know, putting those songs in and like hearing him talk about, you know, his, the people he was in love with and that broke his heart and things like that. Um, so yeah. And I, I st it's not like he's on all my playlists actually for the past six years, he was my number one most listened to artist of the, of the year. Um, but this year it was Taylor Swift and I don't want to talk about that. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know how she got there. Um, I think she a, paid it was a dark Spotify. Place in, yeah, uh, it was a dark place. Life. I think she paid Spotify to be um, my number one artist of the year. Like I listened to her album through the newest one, uh, I think twice. I can't even tell you the name of it right now. And there was like one song on the Adam album that I was like, oh, I like this. I'm going to listen to it frequently. Um, but I don't know how she got there. I really don't. Um <laughs> And, but also like that made me, I was like, gosh, dog it, Ryan Adams. Why did you have to do this to me? Um, so, um, but yeah, I, I recently, I was telling Kevin this before I recently, uh, listened to someone talking about, you know, how to, um, kind of not give up those things that you've loved or that have helped you through dark times. And, um, he said, like, whenever you want to do something, he used R. Kelly as an example, like, whenever you want to listen to Remix to Ignition, donate a dollar to um, a charity that helps re people recovering from sexual abuse. Um, and, but also, like, not to be afraid to admit, um, and I think that this just goes for any evil in general, like, anytime something's in the darkness, you should call it to the light. Um so not being able, afraid to be like, yeah, I listen to Ryan Adams and I'm completely aware that he is a fallen man um, that has made some big mistakes. And um, because of that, you know, like, what can I do to um, aid in the healing of the world, but also like the healing of Ryan Adams? Like, you know, um, so that's kind of like 
where I am a year later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's it's interesting too in that I think we trade this outrage for like actually connecting with people and helping people that actually are going through dark times, whether like you, you with your clients and stuff, you, you end up doing that. But like how many people we know that are hurting and, or like maybe have been abused by someone and we maybe know that someone that has abused them, but we don't reach out to them. We don't help them. Instead, we just like, I'm just going to get outraged about flavor of the month that is now no longer viable to be, you know, listened to in culture because, you know, they've done some terrible thing. Um, and we kind of like, it's, it's, yeah, it's like our new, like burning at the stake for our culture, but it's obviously mm -hmm. like, we're not murdering them. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's still like, we're, we're, you know, erasing them from the, the culture's existence. Um, but we actually don't connect with other people and even just have a connection to deal with our own stuff. Um, I find like, I kind of think again, this is probably just me just reading Brene Brown and just spouting out what's been rolling <laughs> off my head because I've, you know, been, been, been reading this book, but, um, yeah, just like our, we, we desperately desire connection and we've tried to find that through music, through X, Y, Z on the internet. But like what we really deeply need is just to like, probably have a conversation with our friend that we've fallen out of touch with for a while or, you know, do the thing that's uncomfortable where we share a part of ourselves with someone that we're close with, not just like some stranger, like, Hey, by the way, here's my deepest, darkest secret stranger I've never met. But like, instead someone that like we have a relationship with that can help us with that. But it's easier just to, I'm going to be outraged about this thing. Cause it makes me feel alive for a half second. It gives me that dopamine hit, but I don't mm -hmm. actually like have any deep, real lasting thing going on with that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that makes yeah. any sense, but yeah. Um, and it made me think of, um, sister Miriam, um, Heidel was recently here in Lafayette, Louisiana for a Lenten mission at, uh, our lady of wisdom. And, um, she was talking about forgiveness. And I think, first off, I also want to say that, like, I am not a victim of sexual abuse or, um, you know, verbal abuse, emotional abuse. I've been blessed to have um, a pretty healthy life with the relationships around me. Um, so I can only imagine what it is like to go through something like that and to keep that in the darkness for so long. And to the women that do come forward about those things, I think that they are full of courage. And I think that they are um, aiding in the healing of the culture. Um, so I salute them and applaud them greatly. Um, um, but sister Miriam was talking about forgiveness and she showed a clip of, um, this gentleman who is speaking to someone who shot his brother. She stumbled into the wrong apartment and saw a stranger sitting on the couch and she thought she was in her own apartment. So, um, she shot, she was a police officer and had her weapon on her and she shot the man, um, and then realized shortly after that she was in the wrong apartment. And uh, his brother is giving a statement to her um, at one of her hearings. And he says, like, I forgive you. And I, um, I don't want you to die. And I know some people will tell you that, like, you're terrible and you deserve hell and all these things. And he's like, I, I just, I don't. And he basically kind of says, like, I don't know what I would gain from telling you that. Um, and I know that my brother would want the best for you. Um, and kind of makes this call to her for like, to like, you know, go to Christ in these dark times. And, um, I just love that so much because when we think about forgiveness in that, uh, you know, kind of sphere, 
I, I gain nothing from wishing the worst upon someone else. Um, you know, in the, or the fact that someone is suffering, um, like I gain nothing by saying like, good for him. Like, I'm glad he's suffering right now. Um, if anything, that only increases the amount of resi uh, resentment and um, hatred and vengeful mindset in my own heart and diminishes my person and my dignity. So, um, yeah, I just, it's a very, it's a very touchy issue, I think, especially in today's culture. Right. And yeah, like how, what is forgiveness in a way that doesn't cheapen it either? Right. Cause I think it's so easy. Like, Oh, I just forgive you and like pretend the offense never occurred. And I think with, with that gentleman, he's like, he's recognizing like you killed my brother and like, but I forgive you, but I realize like this wrong has been committed. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I think you were, you were speaking of this be before we were recording, but like the biggest thing that all of us can do when we have committed any offense, whether it's like minor or the most heinous thing in the world is just own up to it. And mm -hmm. I think that's when, like I think that's what our culture or just in general as I don't even think it's our culture, probably just have people as the human race despises most is people that are dishonest about things they've done, mm -hmm. especially like bad things, like people that own up to like, Hey, I failed here and I am sorry. And I like, I want to do better. And this is funny because it makes me think of my baseball team, the Houston Astros who are, <laughs> I don't know, caught up in the Ooh. worst, worst, uh, cheating scandal. Yeah. In I'm happy a to while. be a Red Sox fan right now. Uh, yeah. Good, good luck when that report comes out. Cause that's not going to be good either. Cause you had our manager who was the, uh, <laughs> the head honcho of the, the whole cheating scandal. But the, uh, I, I don't think people are mad. People are mad that the Astros are cheated, but they're also more mad that they like have kind of just kind of pulled like the wrestling heel thing of like, whatever, like we know, we, we know we cheated. We're, we're sort of sorry, but not really. And we don't want to talk about this anymore. Can we just play the season? And like, I think there's going to be this like cathartic release for every single time they go to an away stadium and people just boo the crap out of them and are banging trash cans at the, at all the stadiums and yelling mm -hmm. at them and calling them cheaters and stuff of like, like, yes, like this is the, this is what we hate. We don't hate that you cheated. We hate that. Like you don't know, didn't own up to it. You didn't even like pretend that, um, that what you did was like really that wrong. Really. You're saying like everyone else was kind of doing this and that that might be true, but no one was as like brash and as open about, Hey, like we're going to flaunt the rules as you know, grievously as they, they have. So it is strange because, um, like, I, I even think about like Mel Gibson has sort of made a comeback, and he was very much like, he was very out of out of things with Hollywood because he, what got a drunken tirade, rambling about anti-Semitic comments and stuff, and mm -hmm. like he slowly kind of like made his way back. He's directed a few films, I think he's been in a few films, but like I don't think he'll ever reach the you know the peak that he did back in you know when he was making the passion of Christ. And I don't know if he deserves to, like, I think there should be some real consequences. Like if you have done these things, like if you are a sex offender, yes, you deserve to be treated with honor, dignity and respect. But at the same time, like there's going to be, your life's going to look different after you do those things because right. Yeah. You, you've done something terrible. And we, again, we've all have to our certain extent, but they're like, as a, as a society, there's certain things we judge to be more, heinous than others and there are consequences to deal with those things but mm -hmm. at the same time like how how do we welcome those people back into the society when they've like 
have repented. Like, yes, I did. I have killed a person. I, I was a sexual abuser and I've changed my life now. Um, and I think that's probably at the point where we're struggling in our current, where we are in 2020 is mm -hmm. what do we do? How do we deal with those people that have done bad things, but like have genuine remorse now and genuinely want to like have some type of life and not just be like, you're trash. You're the worst person in the world. I can't believe that you haven't you know committed suicide yet. Like why do you even deserve to live? You did X, Y, Z. Um, how, how do we, what, what does it even mean to like forgive those people and then reincorporate them? But at the same time, not just be like, okay, everything's fine. Like you're fine. Nothing, nothing. You didn't do anything bad. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know where to go with that, but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I know it's hard. I, it, what it made me think of is in scripture when Jesus like encounter encounters like the lepers, um, and, um, the unclean, you know, the people that, um, in those times were seen as unclean. So they were like dispelled from the community. Um, and, you know, Jesus giving them that second chance of like, you know, not only am I going to heal you, but I'm going to um, allow you to go back and be accepted by those around you again. And by no means am I like saying like, well, you know, illness, I think is illness and, uh, you know, mental or physical. So, um, you know, like, yeah, just, I, I don't know. I think Jesus would, uh, you know, be able to recognize the dignity in every human, uh, that the Lord has placed here on this earth. Um, I think it's just the question is, I think the, the biggest point of it all, I think is to not be afraid of admitting where someone has been or where yourself, like you yourself have been. Um, I think this might be an unpopular opinion, but I don't want to take down all the statues of the Confederate soldiers. Um, Ooh, uh, hot topic. <laughs> You're just diving into the deep um, end. I know. But what I want to see, I think a beautiful change would be seeing the plaques and the um, history books tell the real story. I think that that would be much more conducive to... Uh, helping my culture and my country heal than tearing down a statue um, and pretending it never happened to say right, like right. this man was once celebrated because of all these things, but he also did all of this and those weren't good things. And here has, here is how our country has grown since, you know, this statue was, you know, put up when it went, whenever it was put up, you know, to read those, um, read those stories and hear, you know, exactly what happened versus like trying to just hide it and say this never happened. Um, right. Right. And even like telling the story of like why that statue was even erected when it was erected. Cause a lot of those came about um, right after probably in like the height of segregation in like the twenties the and thirties in the South and right. like, really trying to, um, you know, keep the, the black people that were living in those areas, like, down and oppressed and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. that's very important. I was just thinking about another thing Jesus said too, of terms of like the response, like when she, when he meets the, the sinful woman caught in adultery and people want to throw stones and he says, he without the first stone, he without sin may cast the first stone. Mm -hmm. They all leave. Right. And what is his response to the woman? He says, uh, has everyone left? Okay, great. 
go and sin no more. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. the thing isn't like, Hey, it's fine. Like what you did was fine. You know, everything's okay. You're, you're okay. I'm okay. We're okay. Like that's, that's not, that's never Jesus' response. Like right. Jesus' first words in, you know, Mark's gospel are like the time of film has come repent and believe in the gospel. Like that's what we hear right. as Lent begins. It's like, repent, repent of your stupid things that you're doing that are keeping you far from, from Jesus, whether it's YouTube, whether it's <laughs> eating too much, whether it's drinking too much, whether it's distracting yourself with Instagram or Twitter of all of these things. It's like, we all have our stupid little things that we, um, turn away. We turn away from, from what really fulfills us and choose these little tiny things that will never fulfill us. Um, and if we keep going down that road of the little tiny things that will never fulfill us, we will end up doing something terrible. Right. Like, that's just how it is. Um, like little, like it's the a thousand cuts that lead to the, um, to death rather than like one giant gaping wound. It's like all these little paper cuts. And now like, now you're bleeding out and dying. And who would are have you, guessed? Are you, quoting, but, like, are you quoting Taylor Swift right now? <laughs> I, I don't, maybe not, not, uh, not, not intentionally. Aware that I am. You're not, not aware of her song death by a thousand cuts. No, I, I'm not. I, I am I because I'd... she was my most listened to artist of the year. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Um, but it was really interesting because I was, I, I haven't actually watched a lot of um, Better Call Saul, but it's obviously like a prequel to Breaking Bad and Breaking Bad revolves around Walter White, who like goes from Mr. Chips to Scarface, right? And he has this like very dramatic transformation, more or less of like, he's kind of this like mad guy. And I probably from looking from the outside, it's like, oh, he's like a decent man. He has a family and a house and a pool in his backyard. And, mm -hmm. oh, he has cancer. That's so like, we're so sad for him to becoming this monster who murders people and sells highly addictive drugs to people that, you know, are addicted to them and are going to destroy their lives by using them. Um, but Better Call Saul is kind of the story of how Jimmy McGill becomes Saul Goodman, the the kind of like criminal lawyer that essentially allows for um for Walter to become you know Heisenberg and it's it's more of a slow burn like from everything i've read about it it's way more of a slow burn than breaking bad is like there aren't mm -hmm. these like giant explosive moments that you know he makes these decisions that like there's no turning back from but it's kind of like again it's those thousand paper cuts it's those like tiny little steps going down the slope and then like by the time he looks he's like oh no like where have i i've like become this this character that I was just becoming, you know, to, to do this. So like he went from being like, he was kind of like a meh guy. And well, he was probably even more a little shadier than the Walter white was. Um, but it's like, it wasn't these like giant decisions that, that caused them to turn into this, this bad person, which is what mm -hmm. he is. You know, he's this person that aids and abets criminals that do terrible things and murder people and all sorts of stuff to, yeah, he he's kind of just like he has these thousand little steps that then get him down that path of like being bad. And I really think that's probably more accurate of our human condition. It's not like mm -hmm. I made this one decision this one time and now I'm terrible. It's right. like I made a thousand little decisions and now I look back in my life and I'm like, what happened? What what have I become? What have I done? Mm -hmm. Um and that's probably at the time where we make that one decision where we really, really regret is after those like a thousand little tiny bad ones that we make. Right. Um, so in, in this season of Lind, I, I'm reminded myself of like, I need to constantly repent of all of those little things that, that I choose that are, that are not Jesus, that are not going to fulfill, mm -hmm. that are not 
the best and I need to like focus on the Lord and others and how can I serve them and not just be a selfish jerk? Cause mm-hmm. like, that's the last thing I want to be. Yeah. Um, and another thing, I really find it interesting that our culture, uh, there's two things that have been, uh, consumed by, uh, society recently and have been celebrated to a great deal that I struggle with a lot. Um, and it's a TV show and a movie and the TV show is the show on Netflix. You, I don't know if you've heard about this Netflix show. You No, I haven't. No, that's okay. And the other movie that you, I hope you've heard about is the movie Joker starring Joaquin yes. Phoenix. I'm aware of Joker. Um, right. So I've, I've seen two episodes of you and I get it enough to say, I don't need to watch this. Um, and I've seen about the last, I was on an airplane recently and my headphones uh, were lost. So I couldn't watch a movie of my choice. So whatever the movie in front of me, the guy was watching, which was Joker with the subtitles on. I, I watched the last like 45 minutes of the Joker via his screen and subtitles. <laughs> Not Don't recommend this. But um, I think I gathered enough about it to understand that these are both two things, a movie and a TV show about people who are doing evil things for sure. Um, but because we've been let in on their past, we've granted them some sort of pardon uh, for their actions. I've seen tons of memes from young people, teenagers, college age students, and people my age as well, um, you know, talking about this Joe character from you, which he's a serial killer, Kevin. <laughs> um, Wonderful. Uh, yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, each each season of the show, he's targeting one specific woman um, and he is making them fall in love with him. And eventually, through his mental illness, he ends up killing them. Um, and I haven't seen the second season, so I don't know exactly what happens. But um, I do know that kind of like he he kind of gets found out that this is kind of who he is. And um, but he's you know, he's killing people and he's, you know, targeting new victims and he's bringing more people into his uh i guess story or into his illness that are um you know could be potential victims in the future and i know the second season ends with him uh getting a new next door neighbor and him kind of starting to target her um but because we know a little bit of what happened when he was a child and stuff we start making all these um we start pardoning his actions and it, I just find it very confusing um, because a culture that um, might not know, let's say about Ryan Adams past and what he's been through um, are quick to cancel him. But for this fictional character named Joe or um, Arthur, whatever the Joker's name is, I forget his last name. I can't um, remember either. Um, you know, we, we are quick to let them off the hook because we have a little insight on the terrible things that happened when they were, um, when they were growing up. And so that's really confusing to me, um, because I don't know, evil is evil and, uh, the Lord has mercy and justice for everyone. Um, and, uh, so I just, I don't know, just some thoughts I've been thinking about recently. Right. And it's just our tendency. Well, I think with fictional characters, we kind of put ourselves in their place and like, Mm -hmm. we will always make excuses for our actions. We'll never take responsibility. That's like the hardest thing for -hmm. anyone to do. Myself included is just take responsibility for what has happened, good or bad. 
Um, right. So we we excuse ourselves, but we blame others. Like we always can find the um, the argument for why it's someone else's fault or why they deserve what has happened to them. Um, I think it's just because we can, um, yeah, just, just because they're other, I can just in my mind, I can decide oh, they, they deserve this because they did X or Y or Z or, or that. So it's, it's way easier to, uh, forgive myself or not even forgive myself, excuse myself. It's not even forgiveness. It's just like, oh, I, I, that's, I didn't mean to do that. That's I'm, I'm not sorry. Like I, that was a mistake on my part. And for them, it's like, oh, they they like really chose to hurt me in this way. I know this, this, and this. Um, like we can never, yeah. There, there's something about how we excuse ourselves and even fictional characters because again, we we like put a little bit of ourselves in their their shoes and we can kind of relate with them that way. Uh, but with like the person I'm in relationship with, I can just blame because that's the easier easier way to go. So mm -hmm. stop blaming, take responsibility, everyone. Yeah, humility is a great virtue. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> well, this has been it's been a, a wild and crazy conversation, Aaron. Um, but I wanted to end on. I know you're a music person, <laughs> or and maybe you're reading some books too. Um, what are you either reading or listening to? Okay, I'm not reading anything. I'm reading the Bible. It's part of my Lenten thing. Also, good job. Um, what, where are you at Bible. in the Bible? Um, we chose this. Me and my next door neighbor, we chose this. Uh, uh, I'm not even sure what organization put it out, but we're just reading through the Gospels, um, starting with Matthew um, and, uh, yeah, kind of just working our way through uh, uh, Christ's life. So that's been good. Been reading the Bible. It's great. Good. Um, but I've been listening to um, – so I had this – I had something happen recently where um, I was like, I feel like I'm just consuming music the way like my streaming service tells me to consume music. It's probably because you are. I am. And I didn't like that at all. Cause I thought about like high school Aaron and how cool she was. And, um, she was way more indie. She listened to way more indie artists, less no, major labels, less major labels, but also way more like older artists. Like, and I, I would like get really into them. I would like figure out like what when they were making their albums and what was going on in their lives while they were making their albums and I knew where they were from and all this stuff and now and then I found myself just consuming like one song by an artist and be like this is good and I'm not gonna like dive in to look at the rest of their album and I didn't like that so I made a commitment kind of a new year's resolution that I was going to pick a few artists to really dive into this year and uh, one of those is like Phoebe Bridgers. It's like, uh, okay, I really like everything she puts out. So I'm going to like follow her close. Another one of those artists is Casey Musgraves. Still waiting for the new album to drop uh, whenever she decides to do that. But um, her last album, Golden Hour, came out in 2018. Really excellent. Um, I love her voice. I love her vibe. She's really great. Um, but surprisingly, oh, and I keep it keep it in the modern sphere also the band war on drugs uh they're excellent stuff and and kind of have been fulfilling my ryan adams fix like they're a little more grungy rock um but yeah the war on drugs uh excellent excellent uh band and then but surprisingly uh artists that i've been getting into uh is bruce springsteen uh wow father yeah, damien so, ferentz would be so so proud 
I know, right? So I love Bruce Springsteen, um, specifically right now listening to his very first album, Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey. Um, so yeah, I've been uh, listening to a lot of Bruce Springsteen um, lately. Nice, nice. Uh, in terms of what I have been reading, I, I've, I've gone on a book binge. I've, I've turned into a monster. Um, I think in February I read five books, which nice. is kind of crazy. Uh, or I finished reading five books. There was one I had started that I actually finished in February. But um, right now I am reading Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. I know there's probably a lot of people that love Brene Brown, mm -hmm. but uh, it's been it's been really good. And I, it's it's funny because like kind of the circles we've run in, like vulnerability and just like actually talking is kind of normal for like that's kind of like the air I breathe for I don't know like ten years of my life at least. <laughs> you know, of just like the, yeah, you gotta actually talk and share and not just like put up this false front and, and shame, but it's still really interesting. And I, I think there's, there's parts that I've, I've definitely taken, taken from. Um, so that's been really good. And then book I really love that I wasn't expecting to like that much. Cause I'm not like super rah, rah military guy, but there's this book called extreme ownership, uh, by these two Navy seals. One of them's name's Jocko Willink and leaf air, not leaf Erickson. He's like a Viking. His name's <laughs> leafs. His first name's leaf. Um, I can't remember the rest. You can, you can find it. Not um, the Viking. It, it's really interesting. And it kind of goes to what I was talking about earlier of, uh, he, they're talking about in leadership. Like the thing you need to do is like, you have to own everything. And like, you are not allowed to blame other people as the leader. Like if something fails, it's not your subordinates fault. It's your fault. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so refreshing to be like, if something goes wrong at at work on shift when I'm there, like I don't get to blame my team members. I have to blame myself because like mm -hmm. I'm the one running the shift. I'm the one that is making the decisions. And if someone did something incorrectly, it's probably because I didn't communicate clearly enough what the plan was or what this mm -hmm. was or how to deal with this situation. So I don't get to blame um, the other people. I have to kind of take ownership for that. So it's a really interesting book. It's a pretty short read. Um, they do talk a lot about um, kind of their combat experience in Afghanistan, which is really interesting. Uh, or was it Afghanistan or Iraq? It might have been Iraq. Sorry, got got <laughs> the wrong wrong country there. It was Iraq because they were it was uh, they were kind of deployed in I think Ramadi was their the main area where they were really doing a lot of um, like battlefield operations and stuff, but. Very fascinating book. Definitely recommend. Um, I don't listen to a ton of music because I don't have a ton of time to listen to a ton of music because when I'm at work, I don't don't have that opportunity. I, do, I don't sit at a desk and type like I used to. Um, but of late, I've been getting back into David Ramirez, who I love, uh, mm -hmm. who is you know my favorite of songwriters, who is just sad and depressed. And that, that's the type of like, if I want to listen to singer-songwriter yeah. music, I want to listen to that. I don't want to listen like, I'm so happy about life. It's like, I want to yeah. hear about your you smoke too many cigarettes and you're sad about the girl left you and all that stuff. Yeah. So if you, if you like I mean, sad music, David Ramirez, David Ramirez. Yeah. I mean, sad music. I really believe sad music makes me happy. Um, <laughs> I think that that's you're how like, I, hey, keep... I'm not that bad. Right. I'm not that bad. I, I think that's part of it. I don't know. The other thing is like, I think, um, I don't know. I think sometimes I have a tendency to be like too happy. So I think sad music kind of like, Brings you to a happy, happy medium, happy, happy medium, low, low yeah. level. Yeah, I know. People say I'm too cheery, which I, yeah, that's okay. I'll, I can, I can take that. That's I, a good I can one, live yeah. with that. It's a good yeah, one. It's a so. good one. 
Um, cool. Well, I hope this wasn't the worst podcast ever to everyone listening. It's been a while since I've done this. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not very good at this. I, I just have a microphone and a USB interface, and I occasionally, you know, once a year record something that is not my brother's podcast. So, um, Aaron, nice. how can people do Do you want people to like follow you on Instagram? Do you want that? Or are you like, please don't, um, don't, don't do that. I don't care. I don't care. I don't have my thing set to private. And, um, the other day I realized that like this fitness person with like a hundred thousand followers watched my story and I was like, I don't, thank you. <laughs> so, I will take that. I will take that. So if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Aaron C. Garrett. Um, I think more so I would, I make playlists and I think that if I want anybody to do anything, it's just like my playlist. Um, I do think that it will one day make me, um, famous and like people would want me to make like soundtracks for movies. That would be like my dream job. Um, so if you want to follow me on Spotify, Aaron Garrett, look for a profile. Um, and then I have, uh, tons of playlists to, uh, look at and, uh, I'm working on like changing all of their, uh, like photos, like to where it has like, uh, a you're, you're curating them. You're curating yeah. So, your, your so photos um, now. yeah, I recently watched the movie, um, high fidelity with John Cusack and he's like all about like mixtapes and stuff because you know, nineties. Um, so I'm like, I, I love making playlists, so maybe I need to like put a little more effort into that. So that's kind of like a hobby of mine. Um, so yeah. What what's gonna be like the 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 hipster version of? Because like you can make the Spotify playlist, but like how can you like you can't make a playlist in the like you're not gonna press a vinyl record of your playlist. Like that's that doesn't work that way. Like it's kind of ridiculous. But so what's gonna be like the hipster way of like doing the playlist? Will you just like send someone an SD card and like hey here's some songs I got for you or so? You know? Well, like, no, how, I how just do... I just share the link. Sure, I know, Link. I know, but if I then I got to listen to the ads because I, you know, I got rid of Spotify Premium. So, oh, well, that sounds I like know. a personal problem. It, it clearly is. It's just like, why am I spending ten dollars a month to never listen to this? I don't know, so I, I can't. Uh -huh. it. So, it's good times. Yeah, that's fair. Um, no, see, this is why you need to get back into the indie records because then, like, if you do do something for a like a soundtrack, then the usage fees will be way less if they're like not these hugely crazily well-known songs right so if you get like the the mm -hmm. new artist that hasn't you know broken huge then you can be like hey if you do this song for the soundtrack it's only gonna cost like five thousand dollars instead of like five hundred thousand dollars like it would for mm -hmm. you know like when scorsese does all of his movies he must just pay an arm and a leg for all of the like rock music that he wants to use for all of his <laughs> scenes and stuff so you can avoid that but uh yeah well Aaron, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for finally making the time again a year later after the failed attempt of 2019 occurred. It's 2020 and we're finally recording a podcast. So you're welcome, everyone. There it is. All right. Bye, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs>